So you and I, we are obsessed with new, even if it's just new information and you're constantly scrolling your phone, updating the feed. Or maybe for you, it's new opportunity. You never feel quite settled in the job that you have and the work that you're doing. Or it might just be fitness. You work out like crazy, you post it online, and you are trying hard to feel new and to stay young. Uh, we live in a world that's obsessed with progress, trying to constantly evolve into a newer, better, stronger society. We are obsessed with new. Do you know what it is for me? It is new technology. I am fascinated by it. Like, like for example, uh, have you seen the stuff that, that AI is doing now, artificial intelligence? I'm sure you've seen it in the news. Like, like AI can write an essay for you, not a sermon, I promise. <laughs> it can write an essay for you. It can pass the bar exam for you. It can create original, never-before-seen art for you with just a simple prompt. It's, it's amazing. Like, like, for example, if you have ever wondered what it would look like if Mark Twain ran a biker gang, AI can tell you. Have you ever wondered what it would be like if Shakespeare got caught trying to make a TikTok video? AI can tell you. Or maybe you've wondered uh, where this video came from that went viral a couple of weeks ago of the Pope wearing a puffy jacket. That was AI. That doesn't really exist. The Pope doesn't have that much swag. Or maybe you've stayed up late at night like I have, wondering what would it look like if Rembrandt painted a picture of Mr. T? Now, thanks to AI, we can know. Or maybe, maybe you've always wondered what, uh, what Abraham Lincoln looked like as a baby if Abraham Lincoln still had the beard. It's frightening, I know. But, but here's my favorite one. Somebody, somebody asked artificial intelligence to make a picture of Jesus taking a selfie with the disciples at the Last Supper. <laughs> it's pretty great, right? We are obsessed with new, whether it's new technology or new innovations in medicine or new leaders who can help us break free of all of our problems. We love the new. Where in your life are you obsessed with and looking for the new and the next thing? Now, now, here's why we are obsessed with new. It's because we can feel the old. And when I say the old, what I mean is all the stuff that, that's broken and bad in this world. We can feel it weighing us down on a daily basis and filling us up with anxiety. So, just talking about myself. I, I hate the fact that with every moment, my body continues to break down. Like, I just turned 43, which might sound young to some of you, and it still is young, but... I hurt myself tying my shoes the other day. I hate that we live in that world. On a more serious note, I, I hate that we see headlines like we saw last week in Nashville and we see them over and over and over again. I hate that the same old problems of, of power and greed and, and arrogance and pride continue to corrupt our politics and the people that we need to have lead us. I hate the fact that part of my job as a pastor is to bury my parishioners, my friends, after they have battled cancer, or, or to walk with couples that I helped to get married through the threats of divorce. I, I hate that. I can feel the old, the bad and the broken weighing me down, and I know that you can feel it too. Look, we're obsessed with the new, but where do you feel the old? Where are you feeling it? 
And just know that's why we hunger for new things. That's why we hunger for a better and a brighter future, a better day to come. And that's also what makes Easter everything. Because what we believe at Easter is that Jesus has delivered a death blow to all the old things. I mean, that's why billions of people around the world are gathering like this. It's it's not just some sentimental celebration of spring. We are gathered like this because we believe that there is a king named Jesus Christ who confronted all the old and defeated it, who rose and lived to tell about it. And that's what we've been celebrating as a church all week long. Like last Sunday on Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem with people saying, save us and calling him king, what Jesus was doing was taking humanity's desire for a new day to dawn, their expectation for something better to emerge, and he was placing it willingly on his own shoulders as he rode into the holy city. And then a few days later, on Holy Thursday, Maundy Thursday, we see Jesus serving his disciples by washing their feet and and offering them and us a meal that we call the Lord's Supper, and we see how Jesus is going to usher in something new through service and sacrifice. And then on Good Friday, Jesus allows all the old, all the broken, all the bad, all the evil, all the injustice, the the, the punishment for sin that needs to be made, all, all that's awful in this world, he allows it to be placed upon his shoulders, to be laid upon him, whipped upon him, to the point of him dying. And for a second there, it seemed like the old thing was gonna happen. And you know what the old thing is. Someone with promise and a great message steps forward, but it never lasts. They get cut down by the old evils of this world. But now, now it's Sunday, and Jesus is alive. And that's what brings us together to celebrate. And and maybe this has never hit you before, but like, we live in a world where people make lots of promises. Politicians promise, but most of them are are corrupted or convicted. (laughs) We live in a world where religious gurus make promises all the time. The biggest of them have made promises, like Confucius and Muhammad and the Buddha, but all of them are dead and buried. We live in a day when influencers are making all kinds of promises online, but you and I know that they're in it for the subscriptions and the brand deals. But then along comes Jesus, and he makes a promise, and he fulfills it. And in his rise from the grave, what he has done is he has confronted all the evils that stir within us and around us. In his rising from the dead, he has confronted and defeated death, which haunts and taunts each and every one of us. He promised he would do it, and he did. Now, you might be a little cynical, and you might be here today saying, Good for him. <laughs> like one guy defeated death. Great, good for him. Like when I, was, uh, when I was in elementary school, my neighbors won the lottery. The people down the street from us, they won a million bucks. And I was so excited for them. We know millionaires. I remember telling my dad one day, we, we know millionaires. Our neighbors won the lottery. And my dad just very lovingly looked at me and said, good for them. I still have to go to work in the morning. (laughs) 
There may be part of you who is sitting here hearing the story of one man who lived, died, and rose again and saying, good, that's like my neighbor winning the Super Bowl. What's that mean for me? I still got to go to work in the morning. Well, this is what makes Easter the history-shaking, earth-rattling, reality-changing truth that it is. Because Jesus not only confronts those things and defeats those things, but what he does is he hands the victory to us. Easter is the story of Jesus confronting the old and then handing the victory and a new reality to each and every one of us. He, he hands it to you and he hands it to me. He makes a promise that that's what he would do and then he does it. He gives it to you and he gives it to me. That's what Paul is talking about in Colossians. If we could just go there with me for just a brief second. Paul says this, Colossians chapter 3, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You may very well be thinking, I got it, Matt. We're supposed to be made brand new through the work of Jesus Christ, but I don't feel very new and... Headline, my husband, he ain't all that new either. <laughs> I get it. But listen to what Paul said. Paul said that the message of Christianity is this, that those who come to the resurrected Christ with faith in their hearts, and faith is nothing more than need, knowing you need him. Those who come to Christ with need, they are connected to his death that forgives and his resurrection that means a brand new life for me and you. Through faith, you are connected to him and you get everything that he won. But then the Christian life is a life of setting your heart and mind on higher things where Christ is. Because the truth is that you are not going to be fully brand new, made completely brand new, revealed as totally new until Christ comes back. Paul says, the brand new you, the totally new you, is hidden with Christ. And the life of a follower of Jesus is learning what it means today, little by little, to be the new person that you will become in full in the very end. It's learning each and every day that you are a brand new person in Christ and trying to to push the implications of that into every practical corner of your life so that you can get a taste and give the world a taste of what it means to be a new creation now, knowing that God will bring the work to completion in the end. But nonetheless, what I get to say to you is that if you are here and you have a heart full of need and you bring it to Jesus, though the work won't be completed until the end when he returns, you are still brand new right now. It's like when my son signed up for baseball in kindergarten. I say he signed up, we signed him up. <laughs> it was adorable. We sign him up and then we go to the store and we buy him all the stuff. And I loved it way more than he did. We made sure that this little kid not only had the jersey, but he had the hat and he had the pants and he had the shoes and he had the belt. He didn't need the belt, but he looked good with the belt. And he had the batting helmet, and he had the bat, and he had the gloves to wear when he's holding the bat. This kid looked adorable. And then what happened is, he and the rest of his teammates, they played their first game, and all of a sudden it hit me and all the other parents that these kids have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> but that's the point of baseball at that age. You're on the roster, you have the spot, 
you are a player, you've got the uniform, you've got all the tools, you're legit, you're just there to learn. And the same is true for you and I. You are brand new in Jesus Christ. You are on the roster. You have the uniform of being called forgiven. You have all the tools, God's own spirit, and his promise to be with you. You have everything that you need, but the game right now is not about crushing it, but about learning it until Jesus returns. That's what this is. That's what it means to be brand new. But don't be fooled. You are brand new. You who got into a fight on the drive over in the back, you're brand new. You in the middle over there who's wearing the same exact outfit you wore last Easter, we see you. And we love you. And you're brand new. You over here who's got a brand new outfit on and you want everybody to know it. We saw you waltz in. You look great and you're brand new too. You over there who went to the doctor and you got some bad news last week. You're brand new. You over here who walked in and you did some things yesterday that you shouldn't have done, that you don't want anybody else to know that you've done, you too are still brand new. You who walked in and you have a cloud of anxiety that hangs over you all the time and you can't shake it, you can't outrun it, and you wonder when you'll be done with it, you too are still brand new. Right now, I know a lot of it is not yet, but right now, you are new. That's the promise. And I know that some of us are here and, and we're skeptical of all this. Like the reason you, you're here is because this is what you're supposed to do in order to be a good spouse, a good son, a good daughter on this high holy day. You're here because you have to be. Not necessarily because like you rolled out of bed being like, hey, let's put on awkward clothes and go to church. <laughs> like I get it. You're skeptical. And most of the skeptical people that I talk to, when it comes to Easter, they're skeptical of two things. They're skeptical of the reliability of the resurrection of Jesus, and they're skeptical of the relevance of the resurrection of Jesus. And if I can, let me just speak to that very briefly. When it comes to the reliability of, of the resurrection of Jesus, is it really true that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most historically verifiable moments in human history? Yes. Yes, it is. And there's much, much that can be said on this, but very quickly what I'll say is this, among the many things that can be said in support of the reliability of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, two that I often return to are these. Number one, if this were simply fabricated out of whole cloth in order to keep some kind of movement going after Jesus died and stayed dead, if this were all a lie, certainly those at the center of the lie would have told the story differently. Because if you, if you tell this story and if you read this story, what you'll see is that it paints the disciples in a very poor light. Yes, Jesus rises from the dead, but everybody else looks really, really bad for not believing him, for denying him, for disowning him. And even when he's resurrected, looking at him being like, ah, not so sure. <laughs> Most people, when they make up a lie, paint themselves in a positive tone. The only reason that they would tell a story that talks about the resurrection of Jesus but paints all the other main players in a negative light is if that's the way it really happened and everybody knew it and there's no other story to tell. The other thing that I hold on to is this, that if, if Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ hadn't risen from the dead, then how do you account for all the people who said that they saw him told that story for the rest of their lives and were willing to die for that story. People will die for things they believe to be true, but rarely will people, let alone whole groups of people, die for something they know to be a lie. 
And yet what you have, especially among the disciples, is this claim that they saw the resurrected Jesus and then they dedicated the rest of their lives to telling that story, even when people said, if you keep telling that story, I'm going to have to kill you. And they said, I can't stop because that's what happened and it changes everything. And they give their lives for it. How do you explain that? If you happen to to want to dive more deeply into the questions of the reliability of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I actually curated some resources. I have them available for you. You can just go to the QR code that you see on the screen, go to the website that's listed there. I have a bunch of stuff there for you that you can take a look at. When it comes to the relevance of this story, I'll just say this. You may have questions of what difference does the resurrection of Jesus make when I'm dropping my kids off at soccer practice or I'm taking my mom to her doctor's appointment or I'm having drinks with my friends. And I understand that. But let me just say this. You know that this old world lurks. And what we believe is that the problem underneath all the problems is the evils of humanity and the sting of death. The problem underneath the problems at work, the problems underneath the problems in your relationships, the problem underneath the problems in your finances, in everything is the broken nature of humanity and the sting of death that haunts each and every one of us. And yet, what are the two things that Jesus Christ has confronted? He's confronted the evils of this world and he's defeated death in this world. So so don't tell me it doesn't have any relevance to your life. Of course it does. It's the most relevant thing in the world. And starting next Sunday, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. Look, what I know is this. You and I both feel the old. We feel the broken and the bad hanging over us, burdening us, and that is why we hunger for the new. But what we believe as followers of Jesus is that the new has come. Jesus Christ has ushered in a world where death is defeated, sin is forgiven. And the question is this, you're going to go looking for new somewhere. Will you go looking in the right place? Because if you go trying to find a new thing in this old world, it will not satisfy. Eventually, the old, the broken, the bad, the dying, the decaying, the destructive will break through. And what you're hoping for will not be in your hands. But here comes Jesus. And he's risen from the grave And he's defeated the old and he hands the new to you. And what he gives to you is something that can clear your conscience, that can secure your future, and can fill you with peace day by day into eternity. I'll close with this. Last night as I was kind of putting some finishing touches on some of the plans for today, I was was messing around with with AI image creation online? <laughs> I was. And um, I, I asked it to, to create an image, an abstract image of the empty tomb, something that represents the resurrection of Jesus. And, and this is what it came up with for me. Pretty good, right? Now, as you, as you look at that abstract interpretation of the empty tomb of Jesus Christ, consider this. In the moments immediately following Jesus' rise from the grave, Three words began to be said. Three words were said by those who saw the empty tomb, who saw him alive in flesh and blood. And then those three words were repeated for weeks and months and millennia. 
And, and they went from being words that simply described the moment of Jesus' resurrection to describing a new reality that all of those who followed after him believed had entered in. A new world where the new thing that truly satisfies, that, that answers the need of every human heart, that new thing had finally emerged. And those three words were this, he is risen. If, if you want to, in some way, express your faith, your belief, your trust that this new world that you need has arrived in Jesus Christ, if you want to declare to yourself, to the people around you, and to this world that though we're surrounded by the old, you believe the new has come, the new that you need, would you, would you humor me in simply saying these words, those three words and those three words alone? He is risen. One more time. He is, risen. he is risen. Though we live in a world that is confused and is a frightening place, say it. He is risen. Though you make mistakes that persist and you have regrets piled high, say it. He is risen. Though we have leaders who disappoint us and politics and cultural issues that divide us, say it. He is risen. Though sickness stirs and disease bothers us, and death still stings, say it. He is risen. Though you feel misunderstood, isolated, and alone, He is risen. My friends, there is mercy for every moment. There is forgiveness for every failure. There is life in the face of death. The old is gone, and the new has come because... He is risen. Amen.